Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. The question is social media going to trigger, or maybe it's triggering right now, a global financial crisis. Let's get right into this article from CNBC and try to answer this really important question because I know the crisis with Silicon Valley Bank and a few of these regionals, a lot of the blame is being put onto social media sites like Twitter. But let's get into this CNBC article, dive into it, and then try to connect some dots. Title, The First Bank Crisis of the Twitter Generation. The pressure on banks is very different from 2008. And I think you can, right off the bat, understand what their argument is going to be. Well, now that information spreads so quickly, we're going to get all of these bank runs. Because as soon as there's some fake news or some misinformation or disinformation put out on Twitter, then everyone's going to go down to the local bank and they're going to move their deposits over to Bank of America or whatever they're going to do. And that bank is going to go and completely collapse. And therefore, this is a big problem. And I haven't read the article, but I'm assuming they're going to conclude by saying uh, they're going to conclude by insinuating that we need to have some sort of the government needs to control this. Like we need to have some sort of moderation of speech. We need to have, uh, you know, free speech is a bad thing here. We've got to, uh, and, and Twitter's right at the heart of this, but, but let's, before I get into that, let's read the key talking points and then figure out exactly what the thrust of this article is. They say, this is the first banking crisis of the Twitter generation. Paul Donovan, chief economist at USB, Global Wealth Management told CNBC, social media, mobile banking, and enhanced regulations means that financial crisis today would look very different from 2008. Okay. (laughs) Look, I lived through the crisis of 2008. Did we have a lot of the the social media stuff? Not really, but I mean, I'm sure you guys can remember this. Back in 2008, you would go to the local barbershop. You'd go to Whole Foods. You'd go to anywhere, and they'd have CNBC all over. And it was nothing but the banks are collapsing, the banks are collapsing, the real estate collapse, 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 collapse. You didn't need Twitter to know that. So anyway, let's keep reading. Social media not allows not only allows rumors to spread more easily, but also much faster. Uh-oh, here we go with the gotta make sure that we rein in all that misinformation and disinformation out there. We can't allow this free speech stuff. So going on down the article here, they quote some of those key talking points. Now they reference Credit Suisse. The shares dropped on March 14th after material weakness were found in the financial reporting. The news started a tumultuous five days for the lender, which culminated in uh, UBS taking them over. Okay, we all know this. So again, what they're insinuating is this would not have been possible or this wouldn't have happened without Twitter or without all of this information going back and forth on social media. Look, go back to Lehman Brothers. Literally uh, on a Friday or you know 3 days prior uh to its collapse, everyone was saying it was fine. Maybe social media would have been more accurate than the mainstream media back then. But did we see anything different pan out in 2008? I don't think so. Social media gives more scope for damaging rumors to spread. So we can't have that free speech. This is according to John Danielson, uh, Director of Systemic Risk Center at London School of Economics, also professor. Never had a real job in his life, so we definitely want to 
pay very close attention to what he is saying. Not. <laughs> All right. They go on to say the increased use of internet, social media, digital banking, and the like. Yeah, I've heard this argument too, that now, well, you can just transfer your funds just by going on an app really quick. Oh, okay. I mean, look, it, it's not like in 2008, we're living in the stone age for heaven's sakes. All you have to do is just go online and just do a quick wire transfer. Okay. It takes five minutes instead of five seconds. Is it, is it really that big of a deal? I don't think so. It's not like you'd have to get on some sort of ship and go over, you know, take an 18 hour journey to go ahead and, and tell the, you know, the cave where you had all of your money stored, uh, what you're going to do with it. And therefore they could jot it. You know, they could engrave it on the, the local tablet or something like that, you know, as a Tyrannosaurus Rex walks by or, I mean, come on, this is just another way for the mainstream media and the central planners to argue against free speech. I mean, come on. And this guy, Jane, or excuse me, gal, most likely Jane Frazier, the city CEO says it's a complete game changer. Slow your roll there, sweetheart. So the regulators shuttered Silicon Valley Bank on March 10th. And what was the biggest? Okay, we got that. While information can spread within seconds, money can now be withdrawn just as quickly. Okay, but we're talking seconds compared to minutes. So is that really why Silicon Valley Bank went bust? And here's the punchline. Guys, you can tell where I'm going with this. So this is utter nonsense. Did it have some sort of impact? Maybe. Would we have seen the exact same thing play out in 2008? In my opinion, 100%. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with macroeconomics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So what is the real problem here? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Let's get into a chart that I just pulled up with Josh. This is eye-opening. And this is one of the most important charts that I have gone over within the last month. It is so important that I'm I'm probably going to build a whiteboard around this chart exclusively, probably Thursday. But let's look at this. This is from JP Morgan. So if you add $100,000 in a savings account, this is how much annual interest you would make. That's represented by the gray bar. So you say, George, what's what are these blue lines? Okay, well, that's how much interest you would need to earn to basically break even with the rate of inflation. And what you'll notice is from 2000, we have a huge drop all the way down to 2003. So in a savings account that had $100,000 in 2000, you would make about $6,000 a year. Not bad. But in 2003, on that same savings account, and by the way, that would 
vastly exceeded the what they would admit to <laughs> as far as the CPI. Then we go to 2003. Now we're way under what you would need to make just to break even with inflation. And that's what they'll admit to. So we know real inflation probably higher than that. But look at that. We go from $6,000 all the way down to call it five, 600 bucks. And then in 2006, it goes right back up to a decent level. Call it 4,500. Next year, maybe even 5,000. And then what does it do? Goes just plummets right out of bed. It's like the coyote falling right off that cliff. It goes from that $5,000 mark, call it, all the way down to, I mean, basically zero. And you're way under the rate of inflation. Now I'm looking at 2009. And then it goes back up a little bit, but but not much. And then we fast forward to 2020 when this chart was done. And you're only getting $280 in interest for that $100,000 that you had in your savings account. 280 bucks compared to what 20 years earlier, you're getting 6,000. And by the way, stuff was cheaper in 2000. So that $6,000 had even more purchasing power than it would have in 2020. So you say, George, okay, that is a, a, a shocking chart to say the least, but what's your point? This is why Silicon, or this is one of the main reasons why the regional banks are having such a hard time, in my opinion. They, they screwed the pooch, obviously, with the asset side of their balance sheet. That goes without saying. They didn't hedge. They are completely asleep at the wheel. But they also had a huge blind spot when it comes to the liability side. Now, as far as Silicon Valley Bank in particular, I think they just didn't realize how fast those tech companies were going to draw down their checking and savings deposit uh, accounts because they're losing so much money. But with all these other regionals, they have never experienced an environment where they actually have to compete for deposits, at least a lot of the, the employees there. So they're like, whoa, what? what what's going on here? Or, or they never have experienced an environment where there's actually another product, another financial product or asset out there that is a thousand times better than just parking your money in a stupid savings account, getting 280 bucks a year. You see, the 10-year treasury back 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, et cetera, it was yielding right around the, the, the measly 28 basis points that you're getting on a checking or savings account, right? Maybe a little bit more, but not that much. So same thing in money market. So it, it didn't really make a big difference. But then the Fed raises rates, and now you've got a choice. You can either park your money in T-bills in a money market fund where you're getting $4,500 a year, we'll call it 4.5%, on that $100,000, or you can leave it in your savings account making two eighty. dollars Which do you choose? Talk about a no-brainer. This is where the deposits are going. I mean, it, it's obvious. Who on earth would leave their money in a savings account when you just buy T-bills or put it in a money market fund? And go from making $280 a year to $4,500 or $5,000. This is not about social media. This is about quantitative easing. Because the reason why you have such a dramatic increase and the reason why you have banks not paying anything to people that have their money in the savings account is because they're not competing for deposits. Why? Because they're flushed with reserves. Why? Because of QE. So this problem doesn't go away until you get rid of QE. So you got to ask yourself, how are they going to do that? The only other release valve would be lowering rates. How are you going to do that when you got inflation around 6%? So you want to talk about the Fed backing themselves into a corner 
or painting themselves into a corner. This is the best example I can give you. And how ironic that the one thing that was implemented to save the banks is now destroying the banks. And I'm talking about QE and the unintended consequences of the central planners and their quantitative easing scheme. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism. <laughs> I'll see you in the next video.